When to say yes and when to say no. There, this Christian walk can be quite confusing and chaotic. Can't it? There's so many things I could say yes to. And there's so many things that I want to do. I, I see so many different things. And, oh, I want to do, I want to do that. And, and sometimes... Man, I'm spinning so many plates and juggling so many balls. I'm, I'm really not effective with anything. And so the first thing I want us to understand on when to say yes and when to say no, I know you guys are so enamored by my child. She looks just like me. <laughs> Out of all my children, she looks the most like me. Because if you didn't know that, I'm half black and I'm half Asian and I'm half Latino. You didn't know that? Yeah, because I'm large, so I'm three halves. You know what I'm saying, brother? You know what I'm saying? You feel me? I qualify to be one and a half people. When I was growing up, I would order three entrees, and my dad would shake his head in frustration. And my mom would look at my dad and say, oh, honey, it's just the twins we never had. <laughs> mom always came through for me. She always justifi justified my overeating. I was a growing boy. And I had to have a lot of food. Back in the day when Taco Bell only had eight items, that shows you how long ago it was, I would order all eight. I said, I'll have one of each. It takes a lot. Oh, yeah, it takes a lot. And then I'd eat a large pizza all by myself. I got to fuel the energy of this. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot of love we got here. I remember my, I went to, I'm telling you, I went to my grandma's house. I was a teenager. And she lived in Minnesota, and so she cooked dinner. And we sat down to eat, and there was a bowl of, of meatballs. And she sat it down. I said, thanks, Grandma. What are you guys going to eat? <laughs> there was only like 12 meatballs in there. And she goes, oh, that's for everybody. I said, no, 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 Grandma. I, I, I could eat this all by myself. 12 meatballs, that's nothing. You know what I'm saying? So the next night, she made up for it. She made me my own pie. So after all my food, I had my own pie. And she was enamored by my ability to eat food. Because she was a little girl. She's like four foot eight. Little thing. But anyway, I don't know how I got on food, but I must be hungry. What was I talking about? I got off on my little girl that looks just like me. All right. So, when to say yes and no is not the same as quick, has nothing to do with quick obedience. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, you're not going to go, well, Bob said I have a choice in this matter. That's not the yes and the no. Quick obedience, when the Holy Ghost says, go and tell that person they love horses. That's not an option for a yes and a no. That's called quick obedience. 
We were at a restaurant one day after church, and uh, I may have told you this story. I don't remember. So God said, the waitress loves horses. I said, so? (laughs) Tell her. Oh, I don't know if this is going to be good. I said, honey, you love horses, huh? And she ran away crying. I said, I told you that didn't look good. (laughs) So she comes back a little while later, and God says, she loves to draw. I said, you saw how the first one worked. (laughs) Tell her. I said, fine, but she's not spitting on your food. It's my food. (laughs) I said, honey, you love to draw, too. She took off crying again. I'm going two for two. You're on a roll. <laughs> told me something else. She comes back in. I said, whoa, 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 don't, don't run off. So I told her one more thing. She goes, she goes, and I said, what's going on? She goes, oh, I just learned in church this morning that what you're doing to me is demonic. And I said, oh, I said, well, how does it make you feel? And she goes, well, how do you know this? Well, God told me. He loves you, and he told me, tell me all things about you. Oh, it makes me feel good. So just that morning in her church, she was told that that kind of stuff is demonic, so she was terrified. So she ran away. Well, God heard that sermon and saw her in the church and set me up. So quick obedience is not an option. I don't get to say yes or no. I quickly obey. The yes or no comes along the way of all the options that I want to do in this life, but I might not have the time to do it. Now, I'll have the ability because God gives me the ability to do those things. It says, I can do all things through Christ who makes me strong. I have the ability to do lots of stuff, but is it going to be the best? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, is when to say yes and when to say no. So what I'm going to teach you is how to go to battle. I'm going to teach you how to put your stuff the desires of your heart, how to put them to war. And I'm going to use examples what we do. And so you can take your stuff and, and make them fight. In life, you have to constantly evaluate and reevaluate what you're doing and make sure that it's in priority of what God has asked you to do. An example for us. We... Let's, let's look at finances. Let's say you have a set amount. Say you have um, five 5,000. Say you're just rolling in the money. You have $5,000 a month. And, but you have many things that you want to do with that 5,000. And so what you must do is you must make a list of all the things, your responsibilities, and then some desires that you might have. So for us... We have responsibilities. We have five children. They have to be fed. That's a responsibility. Yes? We we need a roof over our heads because we have five children. So that's a responsibility. They need clothes. It's a responsibility. So we write these things down that are, are musts. And now, then there's the other things like, well, we'd like to, we'd like to have a, a decent car to get around. We'd like to have this and this. Another priority for us is um, 
It's a conviction for my wife and I to take our kids and expose them to need around the world. So a conviction for us, example, in one month we're going to Asia for seven weeks. We're going to Cambodia. We have a village, I mean, we have an orphanage there. We have 84 kids. And we're going to work in the orphanage. We're going to build an awesome chicken coop because we're bringing that orphanage into sustainability through things that they do at the orphanage. So we're building a huge, huge chicken coop. We're doing a pig farming. We're doing what? Oh, showers. They've never taken a shower at our orphanage. We adopted it last year. All they do is they pour buckets on their head with clothes on. So we're building showers. So we're going to go and work there for eight days and bring sustainability. And I want my kids, they're only five, four, two, one, and eight months. I want them to be exposed at this age for the rest of their life to third world stuff. I want them to understand the blessing of the Lord, extravagant overflow of God's blessing, but I also want them to experience the travesty around the world. I want them to see both ends because then they'll have a radical balance. It's called the radical middle. And so our, our conviction is we will do whatever we have to do, empty our bank accounts in order to make that happen. We're going to Asia for seven weeks. We're going to go to Cambodia, Thailand, and China. We're back a month, and then we're going to Africa for five weeks. Now, that's costing us about $35,000. That's a lot of greenback, baby. That's a lot of dinero. <laughs> it's dinero that I'm going, all right, Father. That's a lot of bucks. But I believe this is very important to you. And so we make it a priority, and we'll eliminate things because we make our stuff go to war. So stuff that we like to do, we'll sacrifice. We'll, we'll save here, we'll save here, and we'll save here. We'll cut back there. We'll eliminate this because we make our stuff go to war on our priorities. It's a conviction for us that our kids must taste and see third world people that have nothing, that live on a dollar a day or less. Have to. So they can be the most effective men and women of God when they grow up. So we'll do whatever it takes to see that happen. And so what's important is you must understand as you discover who you are in God, what your calling is, what your destiny, what your giftings are, you, you need to become list people. If you're not a list person, you're going to have to start developing yourself into a list person. Write things down that are convictions. Write things down that excite you in the Holy Ghost. Be practical. Say, I love to preach. I love to do this. I love to lay hands on the sick. I love to prophesy. Write stuff down that you like to do. But you need to understand, for example, let's say you're involved in a work, a church like I am, Bethel Church. There's a misconception that when you're involved in a certain place that you must be like that certain place. And if you're not like that certain place, you need to go find the place that you're more like. That's not true. Because variety is what's necessary for the whole body to be the whole body. 
So we need people not to be copycats or mimic, mimic tears. I just made that up. Lots of people that come to Bethel, they want to do one of two things. They want to learn how to heal the sick or prophesy. I don't want to do either. I love seeing people get healed, but that's not what I'm about. And I'm okay with that. I love hearing testimonies of the healings, and that's awesome. But that's not what excites me. You need to understand, if you're sent to a church, you're there to bring a fullness of God. Not a compatibility because you're like them, but a fullness. This body works completely in unison, but they're all different members. And so my brother, he loves healing, and he goes after it. He, he wants phenomenal things and healings and signs and wonders. That's, that's, what his, that's what his heart beats for. Chris Valentin, on that scale, he, that's in the prophetic and hearing the voice of God and seeing what's going to happen before it happens and being the voice and the horn and the, the, the warning. and That's great, but that doesn't float my boat. So what floats my boat? It's for me to know and you to not know. No. <laughs> my wife and I are all about orphans. Our heart is to eliminate orphans on this planet. Physically and spiritually. Physically is the actual little children that are on the streets. Did you know that if 7% of believers in this world would adopt, there'd be no more orphans on the planet. 7% of believers on this planet would adopt. What? There would be no orphans on the planet. 34% believers consider adopting. 1% do it. And that's not a manipulation or guilt thing. That's just facts. If one family in every two churches would take in a foster kid, there'd be no more foster kids in the United States. What? Jessica was coming up and talking about the new thing coming up with the orphan care and the foster thing. Man, that's our heart. That floats our boat. I love people to get healed. I love seeing eyes open, and I pray for eyes to open, and they do, and I pray for deafness to go, and it does. I pray for the dead, and they're raised. But that's not what I go after. That's what I get to do, but that's not my passion. My passion is I want to eliminate the orphan spirit on this planet and get all the orphans in a home. That's what floats our boat. And so we met with my brother and, and Eric, my nephew, who's the senior pastor of the church, last week. And we told them the things we're doing. Uh, and I, we basically said, you know, we want Reading to be a place where the glory resides all the time. And so when people drive into the glory, they'll never be the same. And I said, we're going to do our part and make sure that all the orphans are taken care of in this county. We're going to make sure there's beds for all orphans, all foster care. And they're going to be taken care of and loved. And that's our part 
in bringing the glory. Because the Bible says true religion is to take care of widows and orphans in their time of need. So our part in the bringing of the glory is we're going to take care of the orphans. We're going to do it here first, and then we're going around the world. We're doing it simultaneously. So it's okay to be different than the place you're at. And I'm not asking you to have the same heart that we have for orphans. Because every one of you have something that you burn for, and you need to be okay with that. And then that, everything that you should say yes to has to go through the filter of, is this part of that? Because there's not enough hours in a day for me to do all that's in my heart to do. And God's not asking me to do all that's in my heart to do. He's asking me to say, what burns, what have I put in your DNA that burns the most? Well, you know what that is. I'm going to be a daddy to the orphans. All right. That's the filter by which everything comes down through. And I have to weigh it. There might be a conference that comes up. It's a healing conference, and it's a great conference, and everybody's going. That's anybody. And people are calling me saying, are you going to go? And I go, no. Why not? Well, it doesn't line up with my stuff. What? Don't you want to see people get healed? Yeah, that's why I carry flashlights on my shadow. We hit them. But I don't have the time to go to that thing. It's just going to have to be through a transformation or something. Sometimes I'm going to say no, and people are going to say, you are backsliding. You don't even love God anymore, do you? Do you know who's going there? Yeah. Do you know he's one of the best in the world? Yeah. I just don't understand you. Yeah. <laughs> so when to say yes and when to say no. You have to put your stuff to war, and it has to be a priority that God has given you to live by. Now, there's things, for example, with our children that um, I, I, I have eight kids. I have five with my beautiful wife. And I have three older kids from a previous engagement, marriage. <laughs> so I have, I have three older kids, and uh, I, I don't get to see them at all. Mama, their mama has turned them against me, but, but God is going to vindicate that. So every night, all... My children, we pray every night before we go to bed. We thank God for things, and then we call them home. Brock Nash Riley, come home in Jesus' name. I got my little five-year-old and four-year-old and two-and-a-half-year-old praying that every night. And so with our five littles, we, we, um, we have a mandate from God to raise them up to be all they're supposed to be. And so what I do is I look at people that have done it. And I asked them, what did you do? My brother's one that, he hasn't written a kid's book. There's people that have written children's books, but their kids aren't even saved. I, I tend not to listen very much because I haven't seen the fruit yet. So I'm going to where the big fruit is. You know what I'm saying? Big old watermelons like this big, grapes that are this big. 
peaches like this. Amen. And I'm looking for the big fruit, and I'm going, what in the world did you do? So I talked to my brother. We were at lunch, and I go, tell me. And I was happy to hear that everything, his main points were what we do. I'm going, oh, yes. And so with a mandate, it's one of the big things is for us and our kids is to expose them to the supernatural, to the Holy Spirit. Is not to have them go to another room when the Holy Spirit's fallen, but bring them into the room underneath the glory clouds and let them taste. I remember when the glory cloud hit Bethel, it was a while ago, it was a couple, three, couple years ago or so. I hadn't been there in a while, but the, this glory glitter cloud, you can see it online, it's pretty awesome. We were there and it just formed over here and then all of a sudden it just exploded, covered the entire sanctuary. And it came back together and then blew up again. It was awesome. And we were enamored and amazed by it. But then I looked at the kids, and the kids were underneath it going, <laughs> I'm going, heck yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get me some of that on my tongue. And so a priority for us is to expose them always to the supernatural, to the the signs and the wonders and the things of God. So that's a priority. Another priority is, is third world. Is I want, I want my little ones holding little orphan babies. One of, our, one of the pictures we have that's priceless is, well, how old was Ari? Two. Two. She was holding an eight-year-old little girl that was her size. And Ari, our little girl, was two. And she was holding her, just enamored by this little eight-year-old girl. It was just tiny and just deformed. And, but she was just caressing and just loving on her. That is priceless. So, or for our, our last time we were in Asia, um, our little Tonka trunk, he, he's Tonka truck now, but he was little back then. He's two and a half, but. He was a one, one years old, one and a half. In this seven months, this little girl, two years ago, this little girl, what was she, 16, just rescued, 13, excuse me, 13 years old, just rescued, and she just gravitated, gravitated to my little seven-month-old baby and just held him all day long. Just found out that before, right before she was rescued, she had a forced abortion on her baby. And um, so this little Tonka truck, seven-month-old baby, brought healing to a little 13-year-old girl's heart just by being him. So that's a priority for us, and we make our stuff go to war so that can happen. And it has to come through once you decide, this is my mandate. And if these other things, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't have the power, power to veto something. An example of this, we have friends at Bethel that, uh, in fact, Steve De Silva. Anybody know Steve De Silva? He's the one that taught, taught us the go-to-war principle. He does this with finances. Phenomenal. Awesome. Awesome man of God. Him and Donna De Silva. She's our sozo Yoda. We go to her for spiritual cleansing spas and spiritual enemas. 
We get free flowing after we see her. And so Steve was teaching, and he gave an example that they have, they make their money go to war on what priority is. And their offering was coming for a large ministry, phenomenal ministry that all of you know, would know if I say it. And their money doesn't go toward that ministry because it doesn't line up with what they want to sow into. Now, for most people in Bethel, they're going to they're gonna always sow into this huge ministry because it's so amazing. But the offering basket just went by. They didn't give it a second thought because it's not on their list. It's not on their priority. It's not on their war list. And so they didn't even pray about it. They just let it go by because that's how they live their life. And so they got home, and the Holy Spirit convicted and said, you didn't even ask me. I want you to sow this amount of money into that offering. And so they said, sorry, forgive us. And so they came back the next day, and they sowed this amount of money into that ministry. But as a rule, again, exceptions and rule, as a rule, you're always constantly reevaluating, making these things go to war. And does it line up with what Father has asked you to do? But the Holy Spirit always has veto rights. And the reason he does that is because he wants to make sure that you're not so religious in this what you do that you're going to forget to hear what he has to say. Because everything we do can become so uh, religious that we eliminate the voice of God. That's why two things are important. One is the Holy Spirit has veto rights all the time. And the second is you constantly reevaluate in prayer saying, okay, Father, is this still what we're doing? It's not once it's done, it's set in stone, and this is how it is. Baby, I told you I loved you when I married you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. That doesn't work. (laughs) So it's important to reevaluate and reassess and say, okay, Holy Spirit, because this is our conviction and we want to make sure we're in alignment with you. And so the go to, go to war principle is very, very important in navigating your yes and your no. And sometimes you won't have Something that you want to do conflicts with something that you must do, and so you have to eliminate the want to. Because it's an opposition of what you're called to do. Maybe you'd love to go to that conference and see healing and all that kind of stuff, but it's going to take time away from something else that you must pour into. And if you don't have that mentality of go to war or that due diligence... You're just going to, all of a sudden, you're going to be going to all these things, and you're going to wonder five years later, why haven't I gotten any further? You're taking all this stuff in because you want to get stronger, and all you're doing is spiritual flexing in a mirror. And that doesn't do anybody any good. The reason I go to the gym is not so I can flex and go, whoa, I'm sexy. (laughs) I go to the gym and work out because I want to live a long time. And I know from my DNA, I must do that to survive and to live. So your motive is very important. That's another thing I need to talk about. The motive will drive you, but you make sure that motive is consistent and bathed in prayer and the Word. Why are you doing what you're doing? 
Well, God, ever since I was young, I've, the orphans have always been around. When I did my church as a pastor, I went after the orphans. I went after those that were in juvenile hall. I went after those that were in prison. I went into the crack houses. I went into the places no one else wanted to go to. That's just my M.O. I go after the orphans. took me a long time to discover and figure it out finally. But when I did, there's freedom in knowing this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, when I discover who I am and what I'm supposed to do, then I get to really fully celebrate you. And it's not like, what's your... See, I used to, before I knew who I was, I'd go, everybody needs to be like me. You bunch of foolish people. Don't you understand that if we all took care of the orphans, everybody would be saved and we'd be in heaven? Bunch of dummies. <laughs> so as an evangelist, I used to approach it like that. Don't you know the end will come would all have heard? What is the matter with you? Get off your blessed assurance and tell someone about Jesus. How many know that didn't work too well? Nah, it didn't work too well. I didn't, I didn't get a lot of friends that way. But when I know who I am, I get to celebrate you and be your biggest fan. And I get to champion you because you're not a threat to me anymore. You're, you're, uh, iconoclastic behavior is not a threat. Your weirdness is not a threat, nor my weirdness is a threat to you. So we get to celebrate. It's like the body as it works in perfect union. I never wake up in the middle of the night with my fingers fighting each other. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You wake up and they're going... Guys, what's going on? And the left hand goes, well, he gets to do all the stuff. <laughs> well, it's because I'm right-handed. I don't care. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not at war with each other. They're not, they're not in conflict. They're not fighting each other when I sleep. When the head's asleep, these guys don't war. <laughs> when this guy's asleep, these guys go to sleep. You with me? And then... When one of these guys is in pain, the rest of the body comes in to assist. You with me? I remember one night, I may have shared this, and I forgive, forgive me if I have, but it's a funny story. I know the route to my bathroom. I don't even have to wake up. Because if I wake up, then it's going to take me a while to go to sleep. So I stay in a comatose state. I roll out of bed. My eyes are closed. I know I take how many steps this way. I feel for the post. I turn. I take two more steps. I feel for the door. And I turn. I know what's right there. The toilet. I don't need the light. I leave the lid up in my house. <laughs> At night, the lid stays up. It does not go down. She knows to check. And I lean on the cabinets. And I assume my position. And I'm sleeping. And I can tell by the sound if I'm right or not. 
And I don't care if I'm not because I'll clean it up in the morning because I'm sleeping. <laughs> but I'll eventually get there. But one night, it wasn't so. I got up. I walked my normal path. But one of my members, my pinky toe of my right foot, decided to disobey the direction. And he, you know the bed, po the bed legs? He got between, and he went that way. No more comatose state for me. And this is where I believe in the dispensation of time. Because God foreknew, before I knew, that I would hit that, and there would need to be a couch right there. So I hit that, my toe went this way, and I fell this way, and there happened to be a couch right there, because dispensation of time. And all of a sudden, I became a gymnast. I'm about as flexical as a cucumber. Cucumbers don't bend, they snap. All of a sudden, I was a gym, I was one of those Chinese transformers of bodies. I brought my foot up to my mouth and I began to kiss my baby toe and tell it it would be okay. It's okay, baby. It's okay. Daddy's sorry. Daddy's so sorry. It's okay. I am so sorry. And began to kiss it and caress it, telling it would be okay. So when one of the members of my body is in pain, the rest of them rush to the aid, unlike believers. When one of the members blows it and rebels and goes the opposite direction, we go, you idiot, come back when you repent. Can you imagine if I cut my toe off and said, that's it, we're done. <laughs> See, this is how the body works. The body works in unison and union and compassion and in camaraderie, and that's how this body must work. And once we discover who we are and what our destiny is and what fires us up, then we're going to walk through that filter and make our members go to war. And then when someone else is completely different, it's good because it's a part of the body, and we're going to celebrate and champion that part and go, that's amazing. I don't know how you do that. That's crazy. You're amazing. But if you don't know who you are, then there is jadedness and there's comparison and there's jealousy and you're going to go, oh, whatever. You're not even saved. You probably have a secret life of sin because you don't even love God like I do. It's just how we work. That's how it is. So, go to war. Become list people. Make it go to war. Find out what is going to be, and this is always checks and balance with the Holy Ghost. You're not letting it become religious because once you do that, then you're in control again. There's a fine balance between flowing with the Holy Spirit in religiousness. And it's a constant check and balance.